0: Before we start our class, why don't we have a word of prayer? So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for the Sabbath that we can study from your word. Bless us now as we study Hebrews chapter 7 today. May it be a blessing for us to understand who Jesus is as our high priest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've done the first six chapters of Hebrews now. We're moving along. We're nearing the halfway mark, as far as the chapters go. And, um, yeah, we're still just kind of getting warmed up to the point of the book of Hebrews. We're going to get into that in the next few weeks here. So, just by way of review, Hebrews chapter 1 proves that Jesus is God and that He's better than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2 proves that Jesus was fully man And he's better than any other man who's ever lived. Hebrews chapter 3 is a reminder to the Israelites to not harden their hearts as their forefathers did in the wilderness. And a reminder that Christ is better than Moses. Hebrews chapter 4 shows that um, even though Joshua got the children of Israel into Canaan, they didn't enter into God's rest And the way to enter into God's rest is through Jesus Christ. And then chapter 5, Paul starts to show the qualifications of Jesus as our high priest. And he starts to get warmed up and then he takes a diversion and criticizes the Hebrews for being dull of hearing, for not knowing the meat of the word of God and only knowing the milk of the Word. And it's an admonition for us today as well to not just know the milk of the Word, but to, to be partakers of the strong meat. And then he continues on in chapter 6. And towards the end of chapter 6, he gets back to the point of the qualifications of Christ as our High Priest. Now, last week, I rushed through chapter 6 pretty quickly. And there's just a couple of points that I want to make about chapter 6 that we kind of rushed through last time. In verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 6, Paul says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, Paul has been (coughs) rebuking the Hebrews for basically being lazy, for not knowing the Bible the way they should. And so he says, don't be lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now we talked about this last week, but there's two people that Paul mentions right after this verse that he gives us as examples of those who demonstrate faith and patience. And this is, of course, important to God's last day people because the 144,000 are described as having faith and patience. They have the patience of the saints and the faith of Jesus. So who do we follow that, who through faith and patience, inherit the promises? Well, the first example is Abraham. And we see this in verses 13 through 18. Abraham was given the promise that through him all nations of the earth would be blessed, and as the stars of the sky, so would his seed be. And in verse 15 it says, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now think about this, and this is what we didn't have time to talk about last week. It took about 25 years... For Abraham to have Isaac after God gave him the promise. 25 years. So that's patient endurance in waiting for a promise. And when Paul says that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Here's an example of faith and patience. Abraham still had faith that God's promise would be true. And he had the patience to wait for it. Of course, you could say, well, yeah, he did, but what about Ishmael? Yeah, he actually did get impatient, and so God had to prove him one more time. And this time he said, offer up your only son Isaac, whom you love, on Mount Moriah. And Abraham really was going to do that. And Hebrews 11, as we'll get there, shows that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac up from the dead. Now, here's the interesting thing. There had never been a resurrection before. So that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. He believed that God could do something that had never been done before. That's faith and patience. Patience, he waited 25 years. Faith, believing in God to do something that had never been done before. So that's an example for us. That's why Abraham's the father of the faithful. So after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise It's interesting in um, Romans 4 with respect to Abraham believing that God could give him a child it said he was strong in faith giving glory to God. In Genesis 22.15 the angel tells Abraham after, about, after he was about to slay Isaac now I know that you truly fear me. So Abraham feared God and gave glory to him and he's an example of faith and patience. So that qualifies him to be the father of the faithful. So that's Abraham. He's one of our examples to follow who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then in verse 19 and then in verse 20 talks about Jesus as the forerunner. He is entered within the veil and he's made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now the remainder of our study today is going to be talking about Jesus being high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But notice this. Jesus is mentioned as the forerunner. So, again, we're told to follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Jesus is the forerunner. So if he's the forerunner, that means he goes first and we follow after him. Does that make sense? And how... How did Jesus go ahead of us? What is the example that he gives to us? Well, earlier in the chapter it says that we follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In Hebrews chapter 5, we see that Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is interesting. In Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10, Jesus goes through the experience of offering up supplication with strong crying and tears, and was heard in that He feared. So here, Jesus fears God, so did Abraham. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He was made perfect. He becomes the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey, obey him. And that qualifies him to be high priest after the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews 6, we see that he's the forerunner and that he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Thank you. So what, what was the way that Jesus ran for us as the forerunner? It was learning obedience through the things which he suffered, which qualifies him to be high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he becomes the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Now, we've talked about this in this class before. Where else in the book of Hebrews does it talk about Jesus being the author? So, here in Hebrews 5 and 6, he's the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. He's our forerunner. Where else in the book of Hebrews is he the author? Hebrews 12, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And we are told to run the race with patience that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what was that race set before us? The same race that Jesus ran as the forerunner. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And so we are called to lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, And run with patience the race set before us. And Jesus is one that we are to follow who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now it's interesting, the 144,000, they have the patience of the saints, so did Jesus. And they have the faith of Jesus, so did Jesus. So Abraham is the father of the faithful, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and God's last day people have patience and they have the faith of Jesus. So what Hebrews 6 is talking about here is giving us a prescription of how to be part of the 144,000. How is that so? To follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, how did they through faith and patience inherit the promises? Abraham had patience. He waited 25 years for Isaac. Abraham had faith he was going to offer up Isaac and believed that God could do something that had never been done before. And Some people say, with respect to the 144,000, well, I've never seen a perfect person in my life, so how is God going to have a whole group of people that are obedient and have the same faith that Jesus has? And all I say is, if the Word of God says so, it's going to happen whether or not your opinion agrees with it or not. Because that's what the power of God's Word is. And that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. And so anyway, I wanted to just hit a few of those points because we rushed through that pretty quickly last week. So that's Hebrews 6. Now, now we're going to get to Hebrews 7. And Paul wanted to get to Hebrews 7 verse 1 when he got to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10. But when he got to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10, he realized that the Hebrew people were not ready to understand the concept of Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, so he takes a detour from Hebrews five eleven, basically to Hebrews six nineteen and twenty. So <clears throat> today we are going to get into this concept in Hebrews chapter seven of the Melchizedek priesthood. Now we have Ken. Do we have a microphone? I'd like a volunteer to read Hebrews chapter seven verses 1 through 3, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, let's see, all right, over here.
1: Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom
0: also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation
1: king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually.
0: Okay. So now... Paul is going to talk about Melchizedek. And up until this point, he's been making some references to Jesus being a high priest, that he was made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in the Jewish system, the priesthood that we are familiar with is the Levitical priesthood. So now, Paul is going to prove that Jesus is actually after the order of a different priesthood that follows very different rule, rules than the Levitical priesthood. So let's look at Melchizedek. Melchizedek was king of Salem, and he was priest of the Most High God. So Melchizedek was priest and king. And right, right off we see a difference between the Levitical priesthood in the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priests were priests, but they were not kings. So Melchizedek was a king, and he was a priest. So that's the first difference that we see. And the other thing we see is Abraham met Melchizedek when he slaughtered the kings. This is when Lot and the city of Sodom was taken captive, and Abraham formed an army and went and defeated them. And he took the spoils, and on his way back, he meets Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So Abraham, of course, is a key figure to the Hebrew people. And in verse 2, notice this, it says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So what did Abraham do to Melchizedek? What did he pay Abraham? Or to Melchizedek? He gave him tithe. He gave Melchizedek of his earnings. Now, this is interesting. Melchizedek, who's priest and king, receives 10% from Abraham. And Abraham is the father of the faithful that we just talked about in Hebrews 6. Now, he's going to come back to this point about Abraham. So, Melchizedek, continuing on here, he is a king of righteousness, king, king of Salem, which is this town which is king of peace. So he was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. It's interesting that Jesus is a king who reigns in righteousness and peace. Um, So there's some similarities. Now verse 3 is where um, some people have gotten confused about the origin of Melchizedek. It says he's without father, without mother, without descent, and the marginal reading is pedigree, without pedigree, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Some people see that verse and say, um, the description of this person in verse 3 describes God. So this either has to be Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit or something like that. And what you have to understand (laughs) is in the Levitical priesthood, In order to qualify to be a priest in the Levitical system, you had to prove that you were a Levite with strict genealogical records. And what scholars believe, and one of the scholars that I've used to help understand this principle is um, Emil Andreas, and he's written a book on Hebrews. It's very good if you don't have it. It's a good book to get. Emil Andreas and the book of Hebrews. And... The point that is made here is is that we have no genealogical record of Melchizedek. We don't know who his father and mother were, and we don't know what happened to him. There's no record of where he came from or when he died. There's only a few verses, I believe. Um, There's like two verses in Genesis, and then again in Psalms 110, Very little is said about Melchizedek. So we don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. We don't know who his family pedigree is, who his descendants were. And so because of that, what we know is that he was a priest of the Most High God. And as far as we know, no one ever replaced him. Obviously he died, but no one replaced him. Whereas in the Levitical priesthood, there was always a replacement for the Levitical priest. And the, rule, the rules of the game for the, Le, the Levitical priest were this. <clears throat> Once you turned 50 years old, you had to retire. And then your son would take over. So your son might be 20, 25 years old. And so then you would be a priest for 25 to 30 years. But the priesthood was always changing in the Levitical priesthood. Whereas Melchizedek... As far as we know, he did not have a replacement as a priest. So that's basically what verse 3 means. (laughs) Now, continuing on in verse 4, let's see. Let's have a volunteer to read verses 4 through 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. Right down here. In, In the middle here.
1: Hebrews 7, 4-7. through 7. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But those whose genealogies is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better.
0: Okay. Notice what Paul does here. (coughs) Abraham is the great patriarch who is revered by the Hebrew people as their father. And Abraham is called the patriarch, by Paul. But he says, look, consider how great Melchizedek was because the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils. So this has to be a really great man here. The patriarch Abraham pays tithe to Melchizedek. This is a great man. And look, the Levites, those who are the priests, they have a commandment to take tithes from the people according to the, to the law. But look, um, they came out of Abraham. The Levites are sons of Abraham. They were, of course, one, Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, and Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. So the Le- Levites are great. Levi was the great grandson of Abraham, and the Levites, you have the office of the priesthood, are the direct descendants of Abraham. And yet, the patriarch Abraham, from whom the Levitical priesthood came out of, paid tithe to the high priest Melchizedek. So, guess who's a better priesthood? The Melchizedek priesthood. Because the Levites paid tithe to Abraham through Abraham, so to speak. And it's interesting... Abraham, who had the promises of God, was blessed by Melchizedek. And so in verse 7, Paul says, Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So who was blessed? The less, which is Abraham. Abraham was blessed. And he is described as being less, and Melchizedek is described as being better. Now, why is it important for Paul to make Melchizedek better than Abraham? Because what he's doing is, if Melchizedek is better than Abraham, then the priesthood that came out of the Abraham line, the Levitical priesthood, will be less than the priesthood of Melchizedek. And if Jesus comes from the Melchizedek priesthood, that means his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. So that's what Paul is doing here. It's a really a great way to explain the priesthood of Christ. Now, continuing on, Let's read verses eight through eleven. Is there a volunteer to read Hebrews seven verses eight through eleven? Hebrews seven verses eight through eleven. See, I'm gonna call on people or right back there. Okay. Hebrews seven verses eight through eleven.
1: Here mortal men received tithes, but there he received them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron?
0: Okay. <laughs> so, continuing on in verse 8, talks about men that die receive tithes. That's speaking of the... Le- Levitical priests, they are subject to death, but there's no record of death among Melchizedek. That's not to say that he died, or that he still is alive, but it's to say there's no record of his death. And it fits perfectly into Christ having an ever-living priesthood. Then he makes the point again, Levi who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father Abraham when Melchizedek met Abraham. So by the time he gets to verse 11, the point is this. If we would have received perfection through the Levitical priesthood, and that's the priesthood by which the people received the ceremonial law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. So here's the point. What good has the Levitical priesthood done for us as a Hebrew people? He's speaking to the Hebrews. Has it brought us perfection? Or have we entered into God's rest? Have our sins been taken away, so to speak? And the obvious answer is no, they have not been. The priesthood continued on and on. A new priest would replace the old one continually, but the same old things continued on. (laughs) And there was no doing away with sin. And what Paul is saying here is, is that there was need for another priest to come after the order of Melchizedek, someone who was great on the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, who is the father of the faithful, and we need someone who is greater than Abraham to come as priest to bring perfection to God's people because the Levitical priest couldn't do that. So, continuing on, let's see. um, Verses 12 through 17, if we could have a volunteer to read verses 12 through 17 of Hebrews 7 see
1: right here for the priesthood being changed of necessity there is also a change of the law for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar for it is evident that our lord arose from judah of which tribe moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek.
0: Okay. (laughs) So, starting in verse 12, it says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change Also of the law, and speaking of the law, it's the um, the law that we just spoke about in verse eleven—the law of the priesthood. So the priesthood was changed, so the law of the priesthood must be changed, and also the ceremonial law was changed. And then verse thirteen, we know that we're speaking of Christ being high priest because. Paul's mentioned that in Hebrews 5, verse 10, that Christ was made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He says it again in Hebrews 6, verse 20, that Christ is made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So you already know where Paul's going, and he's been describing the characteristics of Melchizedek So in the first 12 verses, the first 11 verses. So when you get to verse 13, when it says, For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe... So we know we're speaking of Christ here, and we know that Christ came from the tribe of Judah. That's obvious. Um, And we know that the tribe of Judah had nothing to do with the priesthood, according to the Levitical law, according to the ceremonial law, according to the laws given to the Israelites by Moses. The tribe of Judah had nothing to do with the priesthood, and yet Christ is being made a high priest. ...from the tribe of Judah, which means that the law of the priesthood has been changed. That once Christ became high priest, the Levitical law of the priesthood was changed forever. And verse 15, we see that it's evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. And I like verse 16. This is the way Paul says this here is really, I think, very powerful... So, describing Christ, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. So, think about this. Christ is our high priest. The basis for which he is our high priest is based on the fact that he has an endless life from the time of his resurrection. And that means that Christ will always be there. There's not going to be another change in the priesthood. Once Christ became high priest, according to the power of the life he lived on this earth, because he was resurrected, now he's going to have an endless life as our high priest. I like that. The Levites, they would always have a change. But with Christ, he will reign as priest because his life is endless. He will have an unchangeable priesthood. And it's not according to the law of a carnal commandment. Now, the term carnal commandment gives you the idea that the word carnal implies that man is subject to death. All of, all of us who are um, carnal are subject to death. All the Levitical priests was subject to death. But Christ once he was resurrected, is not subject to death. So he has an endless life. And and then God says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So forever means unchanging. Christ is high priest forever. Let's see, how are we doing on time? Okay, well, we should finish the chapter. Let's read... Verses 18 through 22. Volunteer for verses 18 to 22. Let's see, Chad, could you read 18 to 22?
1: All right, verse 18. For on one hand there is setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the the law made nothing perfect, on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it, 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 as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he was he with an oath through the one who, who said to him, <clears throat> The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, thou art a priest forever. Um, through 22
0: sorry. Just read through 22. Okay.
1: I'm sorry. Sorry. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant.
0: Okay. Thank you. Now, <laughs> verses 18 through 22 is Paul being a lawyer at his best. I mean, you look at those verses and it's like, I mean, he's, it's almost like he's using double negatives and this and that. But let's just try to simplify what he's saying here. Um, so... Um, basically what Paul says in verse 18, that the commandment of the priesthood is being annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. It didn't make people perfect. Verse 19, the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. So now we see that Jesus, throughout the book of Hebrews, we're seeing that Jesus is better. He's better than the angels in chapter 1. He's better than any other man in chapter 2. He's better than Moses in chapter 3. He's better than Joshua in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he's better than other priests. Chapter 6, he's really better than Abraham. Chapter 7, he's better than Melchizedek and the Levitical priesthood. So, the the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. So, Christ. Because he is high priest, the order of Melchizedek, gives us a better hope, by the which we draw nigh to God. Now notice this, in verse 20 it says, and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a high priest. In verse 21 it says, the priests according to the Levitical law were not made priests according to an oath. But Christ was made a priest according to an oath, and this is the last time that Jesus is compared to Melchizedek, but it's also the exclamation point of this point here. It says, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So God made an oath. He swore by it and would not repent that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that shows how the Melchizedek priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood, the men who became priests in the the Levitical priesthood did not take the priesthood under an oath. They acquired the priesthood through their genealogy. But Christ was made a high priest because God called him to be and it was through an oath. And an oath is something that is unchangeable. So, and we see that this is a better priesthood, and then verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And the, what's another word for testament? Covenant. So Jesus was made a surety of a better covenant by being made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Levitical priesthood was after the old covenant. The Melchizedek priesthood is after the new covenant. And if Jesus is the surety or the mediator of the new covenant, and it's a better covenant, what do you think about the promises of of the new covenant versus the old covenant? We have a better priest who brings a better hope, and he brings a better covenant. And we're going to study about that new covenant in Hebrews chapter 8. So in order to have a new covenant, a new testament, so to speak, and a better hope, we needed to have a new priest because the Levitical priests had proved that they could not keep the covenant they had made with God. The old covenant, the Hebrews said, all that God has said, or all that God has commanded, we will do. And they proved over and over again that they couldn't. Jesus, however, becomes the surety of a better testament. And we see that he will write his law into our hearts and minds himself. (laughs) Now let's continue on here. Verses 23 through 25. If we could have a volunteer to read verses 23 through 25. Right down here.
1: And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them.
0: Okay, now we're going to get to kind of the familiar part of Hebrews chapter 7, and I hope it maybe takes on a deeper meaning and greater significance now that you understand the concept of the Melchizedek priesthood. And the last thing I'm going to say about Melchizedek is that I believe that God ordained Melchizedek to be a priest and a king without any record so that he would be a perfect type for Christ who is also priest and king. There's no record of where he came from, where he went, so there's no change in his priesthood. And that's emblematic of the type of priesthood that Christ would have. So verse 23, we see, there were many priests according to the Levitical priesthood because they all died, but Christ, he continueth ever because he has an unchangeable priesthood. And of course, we love verse 25. This is a powerful verse. Wherefore, because he continueth ever because he has an unchangeable priesthood, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, here's the obvious contrast with the Levitical priesthood. Could the Levitical priesthood save anybody? No, they couldn't. No one was made perfect through the Levitical priesthood. But through Christ, he is able to save us. And notice how he's able to save us. To the uttermost. So there's nothing in your life that God can't change. You may say, well, my life is dead in trespasses and sins, and I've just gone too far. No, you haven't. God is able to save you to the uttermost because He has a better priesthood that is forever, and it's unchanging because He ever lives to make intercession. Now, He is able to make intercession for us because As you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, it says, In all things He was made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest (coughs) in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted or help those who are tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to be a human being. And because He suffered being tempted, He is able to make intercession for us. And not only does he make intercession for us, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now, I'll just make this as a passing point. It's not really the point of Hebrews 7. But we notice here that Jesus became high priest when he ascended to heaven. And it says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. On that basis alone, I have a hard time saying, based on Daniel 8 and... 11, and 12, that Christ's high priestly ministry was taken away because He ever liveth to make intercession for us. So how could His ministry have been taken away if He ever liveth to make intercession for us? You see the point? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Therefore, His ministry was never taken away. Now, verse 26, and we're near the end of this um, chapter now. Verse 26, Notice the description of Christ here as high priest. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Now, when we read verse 26, we're like, wow, look at Christ. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And, you know, I forgot to look up the quote in Ellen White. I'll I'll try to remember to do it for our next class but you realize that Ellen White says that we can have that same experience, Hebrews 7:26. 26. Ellen White says that we can be holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Jesus is a human being. That was his experience. He was made in all things like unto his brethren. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, he can help us to be holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. That's powerful. And um, I better finish here. Verse 27, Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the peoples, for this he did once when he offered up himself. (coughs) Verse 28, For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. So, Christ did not, does not need to continually offer up more sacrifices. He did this one time when He died on the cross. And once He died on the cross, the law was changed. The ceremonial law was done away with. An oath was made that Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and now Christ... Is our high priest who is consecrated forevermore. And so, on the basis of all of that, when we get to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, I've taken the first seven chapters to prove that by the time we get to Hebrews 8, verse 1, now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So Paul takes seven chapters to say, Jesus is our high priest in heaven. He's set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens. And that's the bottom line. That's our high priest. Who is Jesus as our high priest? He's a merciful and faithful high priest. He was made in all things like our brethren. He was tempted in all points like as we are. And we can be made like him because of that. So we're going to continue our study. Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town next week, so we'll pick it up in two weeks. So no study next weekend. Two weeks from now, we'll pick up our study. Thank you, everyone.